worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Today's episode of The Overwhelmed Brain is brought to you by RX Bar. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com forward slash brain. Make sure to enter the promo code BRAIN at checkout. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Are you tired of that same old rehashed personal growth advice that all seems to boil down to think positively and all your problems will go away? If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then I want you to get ready. The Overwhelmed Brain is here to help you create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to The Overwhelmed Brain. My name is Paul Coliani. I'm a personal empowerment coach, and this is the show where I help you tackle life's toughest challenges. I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, I'm going to get right into the first email today. Uh, It's from someone I'm going to call, let's say, Bob. Bob says, Dear Paul, I am a college student and I'm in my early 20s and I've been listening to your podcast for a while now. I've been in my first real relationship with a girl I genuinely love for under a year. We have one major rift between us and that is marijuana usage. I very much believed in the D.A.R.E. program uh, growing up and he goes on to say, therefore, I have some extreme feelings regarding the drug. It's legal here in our state. And I feel like kind of an ethical rug has been pulled out from under my feet with the new legislation. She's very responsible and only does it to relax maybe once a week. However, it's been hurting me throughout the course of our relationship whenever she messages me telling me that she's high. She enjoys texting with me while she's high because she wants to share something she enjoys with me. Sort of like how drunk texting can be endearing. Uh, I'm not sure what you mean by that. (laughs) Drunk texting? Uh, I'm not sure how you mean endearing, but I'm just going to go on and read this. I'm trying to parse through why exactly it hurts me so much, but the only thing I can come up with is that I hate the image of her smoking a joint. In some ways, I feel very protective of her, and to me, it's almost like seeing my own theoretical daughter smoking pot. I'm asking you specifically about this because you've mentioned more than a few times how your ex used to really trigger you with her junk food eating habits. I feel this could be similar. 
Any advice that you could give me regarding how to work through this on my end would be invaluable. I know this is very much my problem at the end of the day, and at the end of the day, if it's a deal breaker, then we should just break up. But I want to do everything in my power before I resort to something like that. I hope you're having a wonderful day, and I really appreciate your podcast and everything you're doing. Thank you. Okay, Bob, this is a great message because I think uh, there's a lot of people out there that might be dealing with something like this. Oh, my wife smokes and I don't, or my boyfriend does drugs and I don't, or my girlfriend does this and I don't. And um, it it's something we get into a relationship and we hope that we share the same values and we all have the same habits or at least similar habits and similar vices so that there's no conflict. But when somebody does something that there is a conflict, then we seek we seek some sort of resolution or we seek some sort of justification or validation. I'm not sure what word I'm looking for here, but you want to somehow be able to live with it without feeling like you have to control the other person. I mean, we don't all feel like this. Some of us feel like, I wish they would just stop or I can't stand when they do that. Uh, I don't want to be around them when they do that. And if they don't stop, I'm going to get out of this relationship. Or if they don't stop, uh, I'm going to stay in this relationship and continue complaining about it which is what you're saying, you, you realize that you know that you are the problem with the problem. You have a problem with the problem, but with this, quote, problem in your relationship, which sounds like a values violation, uh, you value people not uh, doing drugs or smoking pot or whatever it is, uh, and you wish that she would value that too. So it bothers you. I mean, this is one of my angles, one of my guesses. It bothers you that she does that. And especially when she's high, she contacts you, she texts you, she shares things with you. And it gives you a bad feeling. It makes you think bad things. You know, I can totally relate to this email. I really can. Growing up, seeing very close family members do drugs uh, and being around the party atmosphere in my family. It wasn't party all the time, but when they had parties, the drugs would come out. And I hated it. As a kid, I was like, I think I remember about 15 or 16. No, I was even younger. I was like 13 or 14. And when the drugs came out, I hated it. Now, I hated it because I hated seeing the people that I loved suddenly transform into people I didn't know. And it scared the hell out of me. It scared me because they were turning into people that were really weird to me and even dangerous sometimes. You know, my stepfather has been drinking since as long as I can remember. So alcohol transformed him into someone that I feared. So I generalized alcohol with drugs and said, drugs transform people into those that I fear. This is the young mind. This is my brain telling me that drugs are bad because people become different. Alcohol is bad because people become different. And I probably switched the word different uh, to dangerous. When people are high, when people are drunk, they become dangerous to me. And so I... I did. I literally hated the idea of people drinking or doing any drugs around me. And so 
you can be in a family growing up with drugs and start to do drugs yourself. And that can happen. That's happened to some close relatives of mine. Or you can go the total opposite direction, which is what I did, and become straight-laced, very, I don't know, square, (laughs) very, some people might think bland, dull, and also highly judgmental and highly responsible and highly perfectionist. I wonder if you're any of those things because that can really start to work against you in healthy relationships. If you are highly judgmental, highly perfectionist, super responsible, and you expect others to be that way too, you start to have a harder life because now they have to live up to your standards. So that is something to look at in yourself. You're owning this. I can read this. You're owning it, which is awesome. I didn't own this until the last year of my marriage, and it was too late. You're owning this now. You have someone that you love, and it bothers you that she does this. You know, it would bother me too. It would bother me if I was in a relationship and someone was doing something that I didn't want in the relationship. Now, Does that make me a bad person? Does that make me judgmental? Does this make you judgmental and a bad person? It doesn't make anyone judgmental, in my opinion. doesn't make anyone a bad person if you don't want your partner to do something that you don't like. I think what it does is it highlights a value, like I was saying, but it also highlights a bigger picture of how you feel about what they're doing in general. Because I want to ask you a question that I know you can't answer, but just go ahead and answer it uh, out loud. And when I ask you if it was anyone else that you loved, any family members or friends that you knew was smoking pot, would you have a problem with it? Because if you say no, now we have a specific issue we can deal with. This is someone intimate in your life that is doing something that you're against but your friends and family can do it? I'm, you know, I'm not putting you down for that. I'm just saying that's just good to know. But if you said, you know, I, I would have a problem with this, then I would say, okay, great. So now we can look at something uh, bigger. It's a, it's a bigger value. It's a more global value for you. Like, I don't believe pot should be legal. And I don't believe that because, you know, what's your reason? Because it's bad for you, because it slows people's mental processes down, because it kills brain cells, whatever your reasons are. I don't know the science or the benefits or the drawbacks for smoking marijuana. I do know that some people who overuse it, they do shift into a different state of mind most of the time. From my experience, again, I'm not saying this from a medical or psychological perspective. I'm saying that the people that I've known that were highly energetic and fun to be around turned into very laid back, very relaxed, very challenging to be around because they weren't the same person. They're still good people. I don't think anyone's changed in a way that made them reprehensible or repelling. Their personalities changed so they weren't exactly attractive anymore. Attractive in the sense of I don't necessarily find their personality attractive because they just seem to be so laid back that they're not really taking a lot of action in their lives. So I'm not putting people down for that. I'm just saying that in my own experience, the people who have overused it and have become, you know, what some people might call potheads, 
they have turned into people that I don't really like being around anymore. You know, I know people who do the drug, and I don't mind being around those people uh, because they don't overuse it. And maybe overuse isn't the right word. Maybe some people are just affected by it differently. But there are people that I appreciate hanging around with who do that, not in front of me, but they do it, and I don't have a problem with it. That's great. That's their life. No problem. It's the ones that I've seen that their personality has changed, and they have every right to do whatever they want to do. It's just that that personality isn't attractive to me anymore. So that's where it might be a personal choice not to be around people that have transformed in that way. But that's a personal judgment. That's a personal feeling I have towards some people. Just like there are alcoholics that I know that are perfectly functional when they're not drinking, uh, but not pleasant to be around when they are drinking. So I have to make choices whether to hang out with them or not when they are sober versus when they are drunk. I probably won't hang out with them when they're drunk unless it's hard to avoid. But my point is that I want you to assess whether you have a global problem with it or just a, an intimate problem with it. And um, what I mean by intimate is that is it only when your closest friends or family or partner is doing it that is a problem or is it a global issue that creates more conflict in you? Like, I wish the world wouldn't do this, so I have a problem with it in that respect. And it could be both. I'm not saying it could, go, it could go either or. It could be both. You could have a global and an intimate problem with it. But let's talk about what you're dealing with now. Your girlfriend texts you or messages you and she says she's high or you know she's high. And it bothers you. My feeling is that it bothers you because this isn't the person that you met. Or at least the personality that you were used to. It bothers you because you don't like the person that she turns into or the personality shifts into something that you don't appreciate or can't like. So let me ask you this. If you didn't know her and she arrived in your life and you started getting to know her and her personality was that personality that she has when she's high, like you didn't know the other personality, you didn't know how she was in another way, would you still be attracted to her? Would, would you still want to hang out with her? Would you still... Uh, want her in your life. So the question is, just in case you didn't understand, is if you met her and this was her personality when she's high. And let's just say it doesn't matter if she takes drugs or not. Let's just say that's her personality. Her high personality is her personality in this made-up scenario. Would you be want to be with this person? Think about that. Because who she is when she's high, are you okay with that personality? Because if you say no, then that tells you a lot. But if you say yes, then you have something else that needs addressing that we can look at that maybe you can work on or process or whatever you need to do. But just think about that for a moment. You know, would I have her in my life if this was her personality? If your answer is no, then I can understand more of why you feel that way. Because now it's like being with, and this is a very extreme analogy, uh, it's like being with Jekyll and Hyde. Again, that's an extreme analogy. I'm sure she's not that much different, but she probably is more open and, like you said, endearing. Uh, she probably is more willing to share things with you when she's in that state of mind. Uh, one of the things that you said is that she pretty much does it maybe once a week. And it sounds like she doesn't do it near you or in front of you or around you. 
And you also said that she lives, um, I don't think I said this when I was reading the email, but you live apart. You live like an hour apart. So if you live an hour apart and you're seeing each other, I guess the question is, do you ever plan on living together? So here's where it gets a little tricky, right? Well, let's say that you get closer and you really fall in love with her. Let's say that you start accepting that she does pot and you have less of a problem with it, or maybe it's no problem at all because she never does it in front of you. Now you decide to get closer and live together. Now what? Now you know she's going to have a stash. Now you know it's in the house. She may do it outside on the patio. She may do it in her car. She may do it in other places because she knows you're not fond of it. But now it's starting to seep into your life. This is where it's important for you to get really clear on what you want in your life. This is where you think of the future and how it's going to be with her and ask yourself if you'll be okay with it. Because that answer is going to give you a lot. If you say, oh, heck no, I will not be okay with that, especially if I know it's in the house, especially if I know if I find it someday and it's her hiding spot, I will not be okay with that at all. Then this you have to be really serious about in wanting to continue the relationship because if she is okay with it and you're not, suddenly you don't value her values. She may have a value of, hey, I like to get high once a week. You don't agree with that. You don't want that in your life. So now you have values that are in conflict with her values. Now she may say, hey, look, I know that you don't like when I smoke pot. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to honor you and not smoke around you, not smoke near you. I won't even text you when I'm high. I'll just make it a little personal thing. And I'll do it when I'm away from home. I'll do it when I go to a friend's house. I'll do it there. I'll, I'll do it somewhere else. I'll do it in the park, you know, whatever. That would be her honoring your values. But if you have a problem honoring her values, there's no balance. Now the ship lists and you start sinking because what happens is you start developing resentment. So it's okay on her side that she understands how you feel about it, but it's not okay on your side. I'm not, I'm not putting you down for that. I'm saying that if you have a value that does not include drugs or pot in the relationship, then it's vital that you don't sabotage the relationship or your path in life by honoring your values. Now, I'm not saying that you have to quit the relationship. I'm not saying you have to give it up. I'm saying that, you know, this is what I wrote in the Stop Self-Sabotage Workbook, is when you list all the values of a relationship, everything that's important to you in a relationship, when there's a violation that comes up, if you don't honor the value that's being violated, and move in that direction of your values, then what happens is you sabotage your happiness. It can become a resentment. And when it becomes a resentment, now you have a problem in the relationship. And now you might be trying to accept her and respect her and honor her values, or at least value her values, but you can't. You can't meet her in that space. So this is why it's important to be very clear in what you value, which is why I asked you, is this a global issue for you? Do you just not like marijuana in general? Do you just not like the idea that the country, at least in the U.S., is starting to become more relaxed on the laws regarding marijuana? Because if that's true, 
then you have a bigger global issue that everyone that does it will be a part of that issue. And until you get clear on what side of the fence you're on with that, then it's going to affect your relationships. So if you are very clear that you are on the side of the fence that it should not be legal, then your relationship may not have a chance because you just don't like it. It's more politically motivated or maybe personally motivated. You know, we didn't even talk about what caused you to not like it in the first place. What caused you to not like it in the first place? What caused you to dislike people doing it? Has it been something I already mentioned? For me, it was, I don't like when they transform into someone I don't know. It doesn't mean they become a bad person. It just means the person I'm used to and I feel safe with and the person that I like being around, the personality that I like being around, shifts. It changes. And I have to go through my own questioning process of, hey, this person is changing before my eyes. Do I still want to be around them? And I know there are people listening right now going, yeah, it, it doesn't change me. It doesn't make me any different. My values are the same. I still have the same perceptions in life. I'm just a little bit more relaxed. I'm just a little bit more, you know, fill in the blank. I totally get it. And what happens for people like me and people maybe like you, Bob, is that we grow up maybe in a household that uh, someone shifted into a dangerous person. And I don't know if that was your experience or not. Was that your experience? Do you not like the idea that someone uh, does drugs because when they do, it changes them to the point where they are dangerous, violent, or just completely unattractive? I don't know what it is for you. But I think it's important to get clear on how you feel in general first. How do I feel in general about the drug? Okay, well, if they legalize it, I guess I don't have a problem with it. But if my friends and family start doing doing it, then I do have a problem with it. Okay, so that points to something a little bit more personal. You were affected somewhere down the road or you were convinced somewhere down the line in your past that uh, this was a bad thing. Okay, what was that event or what were those events? Oh, well, my dad did it all the time and I didn't like who he was when he did it. Okay, that might be true. Or maybe what you're feeling is that uh, when that person changes, I don't feel safe around them anymore. I mean, that could be related. Uh, I don't feel safe or it's like they're escaping reality and I want to be in reality or, you know, go on and on and on. So this is definitely a personal choice. I look at it as a matter of values. And if my girlfriend started suddenly doing cocaine, for example, that would be like very, very harsh like, what? You're, you're doing cocaine? What? If she said, you know, I tried it once and I hated it and I don't want to ever do it again. I'd be like, why did you try it in the first place? But I could probably get over that. But if she said, hey, I really liked it. I love the feeling I had with it and I want to do it again. I might have to check in with my values. Is this something that I want in my relationship? Is this something that I want to continue knowing that she's going to do something that I myself have a problem with? I mean, I could stay in the relationship and continue to judge her. Well, you shouldn't do that. That's really bad. And you're a bad person. I could do that. But that's so unfair. It's so unhealthy. It's so dysfunctional of me to put someone else down, to try to control them instead of me looking at my own values and thinking, you know, I should really value myself here. If she wants to do that, you know, that's her choice. She can do 
whatever she wants to do, but I don't wish to have someone that does that in my life. So what I'm going to do is look at my values and follow the path that's best for me. It'll be painful. It'll hurt because if I had to break up with my girlfriend, it would hurt a lot, but it would be important to me to be in alignment with my integrity, to be in alignment with what I value most in my life. So the choice is either stay and continue to judge her. I mean, you could talk with her, of course. You could say, hey, look, is this something that you're going to continue to do? Is this something that you find so important in your life that you have to have it all the time? I mean, you can have that conversation. It may sound judgmental when you do have that conversation. It may sound like you are trying to control her to her. She may think, oh, are you my mother? Are you trying to control me? I mean, it could go that way. But I've found that when your partner does something that you don't like and you have a problem with it, if you are going to develop resentment, it's almost always better to look inward and understand what your values are and follow that path. Because that might mean breaking up. Again, you can talk about it saying, hey, look, you know, I, I don't think I can have this in my life. So I really need to follow my own path and my own values. And I might have to get out of this relationship. You can have this conversation. I recommend it. I mean, at least before you leave. Because she may say, you know, I probably don't need this in my life either. And I find the relationship more important. And I want to keep this relationship. And I don't need this. I would rather you be in my life. Now, if that's true, that's great. Maybe you can talk about it and extend your relationship indefinitely. But as long as neither side grows a resentment, that's when the problems start. If she says, okay, I'll give it up and I want to be together, but she starts resenting you because she can't have it, because she looks at you as the cause of the problem, as the cause of her not being able to get what she wants or live her life her way, then you develop an unhealthy dysfunctional relationship because now you have a constant triggered state. One or both of you is emotionally triggered. And just the same, if you stayed in the relationship and she kept doing something that violated your values, now you're in this constantly triggered state and you're probably going to grow resentful toward her which means that someday you're just going to lash out at her and she's going to be like, where did that come from? And you're not going to be able to say, well, it's your pot smoking. I don't like it because you have had that conversation before and she thought it was okay now and on and on and on. You can see how it can become a problem. So there are those points. Now there's something that you said in your email that a lot of people heard because I slowed down when I said it. <laughs> and that is in some ways... I feel very protective of her. And to me, it's almost like seeing my own theoretical daughter smoking pot. So this is where I need to make sure that I convey to you that when you're in a romantic relationship and you treat your partner like either a parent or a child, you're not in an equal relationship. You're not in a loving, supportive, nurturing, well, you could be in one of those, but you're not in a well-balanced relationship. Let me put it that way. I think that's the best way to put it. Because now one of you either has a control or a dependency. So if you see her as someone that you want to protect, that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I would take a bullet for my girlfriend. If someone tries to mug us, I'm not going to put her in between me and the mugger. I'm going to put myself in between the mugger and her. He's going to have to go through me and he might succeed, but at least that is how I feel. I'm going to protect her. I could look at that as, as I'm protecting a child, 
but I love my girlfriend to the point where I'm willing to take that risk because I honor her. I love her. I value her life. You may feel the same way about your girlfriend. You might say, I value my girlfriend's life. I value it so much that I don't want her to you know, poison her body with drugs. That may be your thought process. But the difference between my scenario and your scenario is that I'm protecting my girlfriend from something that she doesn't want in her life. Where you feel a protection for your girlfriend from something she does want in her life. That's the key difference. And you have to be very careful how you go about protecting the one you love. Yes, there can be real dangers in the world. If you were telling me about a young child who was eight years old and she was on the playground and someone sold her pot, then you have a right to step in and say, hey, look, this is a problem. We can't do this. Let me protect you. But if you're referring to someone who's over 18 and can make her own choices, then your method of protection can be seen as a control. And when you add that layer of control in a relationship, you start disintegrating the relationship. You start disintegrating the love and she'll feel it. I mean, you can stay in this relationship and you can continue to have a problem with it and it's going to show up in different ways and eventually she will feel unloved and unsupported and like you look down at her and she will eventually want to get away. I mean, this is my prediction. The rift will get larger and larger and she will not want to be around someone who can't support her making her own decisions for herself. And she'll want to get away from that because she doesn't want to be controlled. Just like you don't want to be controlled. If she said, look, I want you to accept me no matter what. Otherwise, I'll be upset with you. That is also a method of control. I have a feeling she doesn't do that. But it can work either way. My point is that the comment, I feel very protective of her, is okay in romantic relationships but not okay when what you're protecting her from is her choice as an adult. So this is where, if I were in your shoes, I would think to myself, okay, so this really is all on me, and me wanting to protect her is really a form of controlling her. But Paul, I don't feel that way. I don't want to control her. That's all right. I'm not trying to put you down for that. I'm saying that you need to look at that, because if you have a global problem with pot smoking, or you have a personal problem with pot smoking, and the person that you are closest to is doing that, then I'm pretty sure that the root of your protection is actually controlling. So this is important. I don't have a grand solution for you, but I do believe that you need to focus on your values, what you need to do for you, and share what is going on in yourself with her. Hey, look, you know, I realize I have this problem with marijuana and I don't know if I can be with someone who does it. And I'm not judging you for it. I'm not trying to say that you need to stop. This is something in me. I mean, if you can get to this space, this is something in me. And I don't want you to change for me. I need to follow my path. And it hurts me to say this, but I might need to, you know, leave. I mean, if that's your choice, this is something that you definitely have to meditate on if you meditate think about, feel about, work on, process, get really clear what you want in your life. Just like I said, I wouldn't want my girlfriend to start doing cocaine 
But if she did, I would have this talk. This is not something I want in my life. But, you know, trying this scenario on, I might actually say, it really hurts me to see you do that. It really hurts me to see you do that because I know it's damaging you. I know it, it's addictive and it can become worse. I don't know if you, Bob, also feel that way. Like, I know it's damaging you. I know it's addictive. I mean, there are studies out there that say marijuana is a gateway drug and marijuana uh, can lead to addiction. I don't know if those, you know, I don't know if that's with everyone. I've certainly seen people use it and not use it. So I'm not here to judge or hold any thoughts for or against that. But if that's how you feel, you could certainly share that with her. I feel like it's damaging you, but I don't want to be in the relationship and hold any resentment towards you. And I know because that's in your life that I will hold resentment towards you, and that's not fair of me to do. This is just a, a, another fantasy scenario that I'm creating. Whatever conversation you have, whatever realizations you come to in yourself, that's what you need to follow. Very personal decision. Thanks so much for sharing this. I hope this helped, Bob. Good luck. We'll be right back. RX bars for a while. <laughs> I was out of the, um, what do they call it? Their um, variety pack where they give you all the uh, regular flavors like chocolate sea salt, peanut butter chocolate, peanut butter, chocolate coconut, mixed berry, blueberry, a bunch of flavors in this one box. And I went like a month, month and a half without them. And every time I left the house feeling that hunger, I wanted one. So I thought I got to order these again. And I keep forgetting to order them. Well, I finally ordered them. And I, I tell you what, I'm so happy they arrived because I missed them. I know it's odd to miss a bar, but I eat them and I like them and I use them when I need that either, either a little boost or because I'm hungry or because I just don't have time to eat. I mean, I don't know how busy you are, but I'm a busy guy. So the RX bars have been something that have become part of my, my weekly thing. I don't have one every day, but maybe every other day or every day and a half. And sometimes I'll eat half and sometimes I'll eat the other half the next day. They're just so condensed. They have a lot of um, substance. But it isn't just any substance. It's whole ingredients. They're very transparent and upfront with what the bars include, which is why they label the core ingredients right in the front of each bar. Egg whites, dates, and nuts. And the rest of the ingredients, which are unique to each bar, are on the back, like 100% real unsweetened chocolate or coconut, which are my two favorites. And like I said, RX bars actually taste delicious. And they don't have all the fillers and additives and chemicals or the added sugars that the other bars that I've eaten in the past have. God, I used to eat these bars that were just glued together nuts and berries. <laughs> I, don't, I can't get past those anymore. They're just, there's just something about them. And so I stopped buying those. I forget what they were called. And um, I started buying the RX bars. And I haven't looked back since. I really appreciate eating a bar where every ingredient serves a purpose. So RX bars come in, what is it, 11 flavors now? Um, and their recent new flavors like mango, pineapple, peanut butter and berries and chocolate hazelnut. Also, they introduced the RX bar nut butters. I bought a few of those and I... I used them on pretzels recently, but I, you can use those on bread and bagels and other things too. They're really good. 
and for those of you who watch what they eat, uh, RX bars are gluten-free, soy-free, and also dairy-free. Plus, there's no added sugar. There's no artificial colors or flavors. There's no preservatives and fillers, like I said earlier. And they're great for just about any occasion. I mean, I hate to admit this, but after breakfast this morning, I ate the other half of my RX bar just because I wanted that as the last flavor in my mouth. I don't know if you're one of those people, but I like to save the best for last when I eat. So I kind of had a dessert after breakfast. So I highly recommend you try RX bars. They're giving listeners of the overwhelmed brain 25% off their first order and free shipping. Go to rxbar.com forward slash brain and make sure you enter the promo code brain at checkout. Throw it in your bag for the plane, toss it in your backpack for a bike ride or a hike, or use it as a pre or post workout snack. rxbar.com forward slash brain. Use the promo code brain at checkout to get 25% off your first order. Welcome back. I'm going to read you another email. It has nothing to do with drugs, <laughs> as far as I know. Uh, this person, I'm going to call her Wendy. Wendy says, Hi, Paul. I listen to your podcast every day going to work, and they make me hopeful. I'm personally going through a lot of stress in my life, and I just need some advice. I couldn't think of a better person than you. We're both in our late 20s, but my parents are being very controlling with me. They want me to leave him just because he's not from the same religion. They are verbally and emotionally abusing and I don't know what to do. I moved to another state to get away from them, but they still call me every day, and they keep checking on me all the time. I'm really tired of this, and I want to start my life with that person. I can't burden him with my problems. I have no idea what to do and how to handle this. I've tried talking to my parents, and they told me that they would force me to come home, and I know they will. I'm out of options. If you can help me or suggest anything, that would be great. Thanks. Okay, Wendy, this is a tough one. It's tough because when it comes to, I mean, I have two trains of thought on this. My first train of thought is let's take religion out of the picture. That's my second train, the religion part. But the first train is let's take religion out of the picture. If you were someone that became an adult, moved out of the house, and were telling me that your parents were emotionally abusive and wanting to control who you talked to, who you slept with, where you worked, where you lived. If you told me all of this, I would say, you're an adult. You can make your own decisions. You can. It's time for you to go out into the world and make your life. This is your life. This is something that you're creating. If you choose to be the child of your parents still, that is your choice. If you choose to continue to be under their disciplinarian system, that is your choice. You're making that choice. That's my first train of thought. My second train of thought has to do with religion and tradition and culture. So I don't know where you're from, but I'm going to assume that the religion plays a big part in your culture and your culture dictates a certain way of being and being with certain people. And when this happens, now we're on shaky, sketchy ground. Now we're in a space of, oh, my religious beliefs say I need to do this. So I better do this. Otherwise, I 
shame my family or I am going against God or being blasphemous or whatever's in your mind there. When it comes to religion, that is very much usually ingrained in us as we grow up and now it becomes part of our life. We take out the fact that we are now adults and we can make our own decisions because now we're still under the strong arm of our values and beliefs and and the culture and the religion that is the foundation of those values and beliefs. So this is where I ask you the question, what are your religious beliefs? Because if you say, well, they're the same as my parents, I would ask you, does your religion say that you need to do things in a certain way? Does your religion say that you need to be with certain people of the same religion? Because if it does, then now here's the part where I have to be very careful. (laughs) If your religion says that you need to be with someone of the same religion, then my question is, are you truly devout in that religion? Again, this is shaky ground for me. This is thin iced for me. I'm not trying to put down any religions. I'm not trying to say that you're not devout. I'm not trying to say that you're not committed or devoted. I'm just asking you, if there are rules, if there is a doctrine in your religious beliefs, just take your parents out of the picture. Are you doing anything against your own religious beliefs? This is very similar to what I said about values in the last segment. What are your values? Are you honoring your values? Are you in alignment with those values? I can replace the word values with religious beliefs. Are you in alignment with your religious beliefs? Take your parents out of the picture and look at your religious beliefs. Look at your spiritual beliefs. Look at your understandings of the scripture or the text of whatever you follow. Does it allow for you to be with someone who's not in your religion? I'm not saying you use that as a guide. I'm just asking you, so that you can be clear in the bigger picture of everything that you believe of what you're doing. Because, again, this is very thin ice for me. I'm, I'm not trying to step on any toes here. Uh, but I want you to just be clear on how you practice your religious beliefs. Be very clear. Because if you see something in your religious belief that says, one shall only be with another of the same religion, then I have to ask you, do you feel like you fit in that religion? Or do you feel like you need to be more in alignment with those scripts, with those beliefs? Where are you with that? Take your parents out of the picture and be very clear where you are in your own beliefs. Once your parents are out of the picture in your mind, and you are very clear where you are, and you define it very clear. No, this is what I believe. And I also believe this, and I want this in my life, and I want this person in my life. You build your world on that model. I want you to build your world on your model. I'm not saying that you have to follow your religious beliefs to the letter. I'm not saying any of that. That's your personal choice. I believe that religion is all a personal choice, I don't really discuss religion. I don't talk about my personal religious or spiritual beliefs because it's a very personal thing. I won't talk about any religious or spiritual beliefs with anyone, really. I keep that to myself. There are, there are a few that the discussion comes up, but it's a personal thing. It's my personal journey on this earth. It's my personal path that no one else needs to interfere with or be a part of. It's personal. I'm not saying that's that way for you, but this is why I don't talk about it. 
it's a very personal thing. It's my journey. This is why I ask you to separate your journey from the people who are forcing you on the journey they want you on. I'm not saying your parents are right or wrong. I'm just saying figure out what your journey is. Be very clear in what your journey is. And when you are very clear about that journey, think about what makes you happiest. If I stay on this journey, again, excluding what your parents will do or say or not do or say, just exclude them. Let's just say that it's your journey. And if you really want to follow this path, will that make you happy? Because if you say, yes, it would, I love this guy and I want to be with him and I would love to be able to follow this path. Don't go to the butt, but my parents just don't go there. Exclude them from this exercise and just be clear when you follow this path in your beliefs and the way you perceive the world in your model, will you be happy? And you think about that and your parents aren't in the picture and you think, oh, maybe I, yes, I would be happy. Yes, I would. Because if that comes up for you, now let's introduce the parents. Because now you have your specific beliefs, your model of reality, your belief structure. This is your foundation. This is how you want to be. This is how you are. And this is the path that you are taking. This is you because you're an adult, right? You're an adult and you can make these choices for yourself. So now let's bring your parents back in and they want you to do something else. From where do you respond? Do you respond from the child in a parent-child relationship who needs direction, who needs guidance, or do you respond from the adult who knows her journey, who knows her path? This is what I want you to process. This is what I need you to be very clear about. I'm not here to step on any religious beliefs or cultural traditions because there are some strong cultural traditions out there. Some traditions will pick a mate for you and you must marry that person when you're whatever age. And some traditions will completely excommunicate you from the family and from the church if you break any rules. I mean, there are just traditions and religions that create a set of rules in order to keep the, I don't know, sanctity of what's been taught over the years and years and years that those religions and those cultures have fostered and nurtured all that time. Because a lot of people that are set in their ways don't like change. And they also see people that go against their ways as heathens or if you're not with us, you're against us. There are people like that. And they're, they're not open-hearted, open-minded, or even they believe it's against God or against their religious values. Maybe that's your parents. I don't know. So my only direction for you here is to be very clear what your path is, what your journey is, what your model of belief and reality is, so that you can go through life as the adult that you are making your own adult decisions. This may excommunicate you from your family. This could be the issue. And if you're excommunicated from your family, what does that cause? What does that create? What are the results of that? Well, you're written out of the will. You're never going to be able to see us again. They, might, they may put these huge threats out there. This is why it's important for you to be clear on what you want and what will make you happiest. Because once you get clear, 
then you can make the decision whether you can live without everything they just said. Well, you'll never see your cousins again. I mean, they may put that kind of stuff out there. So you have to be prepared for that. I have some personal opinions about this. That was the first scenario. That was my first angle about this, where if you took religion and culture out of the picture, then I totally believe that you need to stay in alignment with your values. And this will bring you uh, closer to happiness and it will empower you because you're making decisions that are right for you. But if you spend your life trying to please others, then you are never pleased. That's the old people pleaser fallacy is that they think pleasing others pleases them. But really a lifetime of pleasing others makes you unhappy. That's all I'm going to say about this. I think I'm on dangerous ground here. <laughs> so maybe you can do something with that. I know you said you're out of options, but uh, maybe you're not. Maybe it's just the options aren't desirable. Maybe the option of losing half your family isn't desirable or whatever threat is involved with this. I will say this, that um, sometimes when you go your own path, there are members of your family that can go, you know what? We've been apart for years and years and years, and I just don't care that you're not part of our religious beliefs anymore. I just want to see you. I'm not saying that will happen, but it does and can happen. Don't use that as a guide. I'm just saying that when someone really loves you and they really want you in their life, hopefully that personal mother-daughter, father-daughter relationship will slide through any religious differences. Thank you so much, Wendy. I, I really wish you the best, and I hope you find happiness. Thank you for sharing this. We'll be right back. I'll say some thank yous and some goodbyes, and we'll end the show with my final words after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I would like to thank our sponsor, RxBar. Visit rxbar.com forward slash brain and use the promo code brain to get 25% off your first order. Delicious, delicious. I would also like to thank Karen for joining the patron program. Thank you for becoming a supporter of the show. And also, of course, you get access to all the private episodes and the private workbooks and worksheets, which I keep making for uh, particular episodes that might need further reflection or inflection so you can work on what we talked about a little bit deeper a little bit more personally and um, help you with your personal growth and development and of course everyone that's a patron member i appreciate you thank you for supporting the show if you want to support the show and be a part of all the private episodes you've never heard or all the workbooks and worksheets that um, come along with being a member go to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com and take a look I also want you to think about your relationships and if they are more difficult than they need to be. Like uh, one of the emails I read on this show today had a slightly difficult relationship, but it didn't necessarily fall under the category of, hey, I feel like um, I can't do anything right. I feel like I'm responsible for all the problems in the relationship or I'm always made to feel bad about myself. That's a difficult relationship. The email I read in the first segment there's some difficulties there, but you know, it's just a little challenge. Maybe we can get past it. Maybe not. Maybe it's a huge values violation. Maybe not. But the kind of difficult relationship that you're just unhappy all the time and you're on the edge of going crazy because you think you're doing everything right, but uh, nothing you do seems right. And on and on and on. There's an assessment 
for your relationship that you can take. It's called the Mean Workbook. It's over at loveandabuse.com. It's not only an assessment, it's also a healing guide so that you can get through the difficulties and either help to heal the relationship or figure out if you need to move on from the relationship. So it's a great workbook. I've I've had a lot of great feedback from it. And just the assessment alone really helps you pinpoint what's going on. Because sometimes you can't figure out exactly what is going on. Why do I feel the way I do? What is my partner doing that makes me feel this way? It's good to have a grip on that. Check it out at loveandabuse.com. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in The Overwhelmed Brain. And to end the show, I'm going to read you another email. It's really short. It's from someone called Mark. Mark wrote, Paul, I've been listening to your podcast and the part of it that where you say, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no, is brilliant. I've thought about this in the context of my relationships and it's so true. I think it really lets you evaluate from a vantage point of being realistic because the tendency is for people to give the other credit and interpret a reluctant yes as a yes. And then down the road, that leads to disappointment. Well, Mark, let me say this. That original brilliant idea came from my girlfriend. <laughs> I think we were talking about um, things in, that happened in her life. And she would say, you know what? If it's not a hell yes, it's a no. And I thought that's a really great way to look at things. Um, so the, the brilliance does apply. It just applies to her. <laughs> and uh, I like it because it really helps us be very clear in our communication. And like you said, if there's a reluctant yes hey, that's not a full congruent yes. There's hesitation. Well, you know, I, I, okay, we can do that. That's not a yes. We can do that. Or yeah, yeah, that's, that sounds okay. I'll go along with it. That's not a fully congruent yes. Well, you might think, well, yeah, some, some people might have hesitation and maybe they're not sure. So they're going to go along with it anyway. Not because they really don't want to say yes. It's because they're afraid of what might happen if they say yes. Yeah, there's that too. But that's when you, you know, get clarity. Oh, uh, that doesn't sound like a fully congruent yes. Are you sure you want to do this? Well, yeah, I'm just afraid, you know, my boss will say or what so-and-so will say. Oh, okay, so you do want to do this. Oh, yes, I want to do this. But you have these fears. Oh, yes, I have these fears. So that's good. You, You clear it up. So even if it's not a hell yes, it can be a hesitant yes. But you got to know the reasons for the hesitant yes. You got to know why someone isn't fully congruent in their answers. This is one of those things when I talk about emotional abuse where you really don't necessarily listen to the words. Like I could say, well, yeah, let's do it. Okay, the words logically, if they were written on a piece of paper, you wouldn't hear the hesitation. You would read, well, yes, let's do it. You could read that with as much emphasis as you want. It sounds very congruent. But you got to put the other factors into play. The hesitation in my voice, the inflection in my voice, the, the way I dragged out the answer. I mean, all of these little parts of my speech can be broken down and you can feel it too. You can sense it. You can feel it when they say, well, yeah, that, that's a, that sounds okay. Let's do it. Yes, let's do it. There's hesitation there. So I like to latch on to what is going on in that statement. What's going on is that I'm sensing hesitation. So I'm going to ask about the hesitation. What's going on? You hesitated a little bit. And they may say, no, 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 I'm okay. Let's let's do it. 
all right, but, you know, if, is there anything that you want to talk about? Because you hesitated a little bit. No, 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 I, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> There's still hesitation there. If this was a big decision, like, hey, we're going to buy a house. If that decision came into play, I'd want to know what that hesitation was. Or, hey, let's have a baby. Uh, let's talk about this because there's a hesitation when you said, okay, let, let's have a baby. <laughs> you you want to break apart the hesitation. You want to make sure that you understand whatever feels incongruent. If you've never heard me use that word before, let's put it this way. Congruence is when someone's intentions matches their behavior or someone's communication matches their behavior or there's got to be a linking of defined meaning of communication. For example, I've defined yes as meaning something that someone wants to do or say or be. They are saying yes, so I've defined that as the opposite of no and as an affirmation of something they want. It's a yes. But if they say, well, yes, so I've defined yes as this affirmation of something they want, but I have not defined hesitation as an affirmation. I define hesitation as a doubt or a fear. So now we have incongruence. So now I, if I had a congruent answer, it would be, yes, let's do this. Hell yes. That's congruent because I sense that inflection in their speech, that passion of when they say it, the strength in how they say it. I sense all of those as very congruent affirmations of what they want. But incongruence is when there's something else in that mix that doesn't match up. The energies clash. It's, it's like an oxymoron, like cold fire. Fire is not cold, it's hot. And the oxymoron could be the mix of hesitation and affirmation. That's just not the right mix. It's an oxymoron, it's incongruence, whatever you want to call it. When you start becoming aware of these and really analyzing it, I mean, not that I want you to break down every single thing that everyone says to you, but you usually feel something in the moment. Well, he said yes. I guess we'll just go forward with it. Now, let's just ask him about that. You said yes, but you hesitated. What was that hesitation about? I mean, that's a simple question, right? What was that blank about? When you say, I guess so, what do, what do you mean by that? What was that about? Because that's not a fully congruent yes. You don't have to say congruent. <laughs> but you want to put these things together and figure out if there's a chain of matching energies, for lack of a better term. Positive energy, positive energy, positive energy. Hey, it's all in one direction. Just like a hell no. No way, I'm not going to do that. That energy matches the next energy and matches the next energy. But if they said, well, uh, no, I guess I don't want to do that. Ah, there's some mismatch in the energy of this speech pattern or, or whatever. My whole point is recognizing congruence. Be aware of it. Become conscious of it. Because a lot of us tend to go very subconscious when we're in the middle of conversation. And then we bypass the feelings that we have about something. Or the incongruences or incongruencies. I'm not sure how you say that. That we're hearing or that we're sensing. A lot of us will bypass that because we just want to continue with the conversation and go on to the next thing or get something done. Just be aware of that stuff. So... Thank you, Mark, for bringing this up, uh, and thank you for your compliment. I didn't even say thank you, so <laughs> thank you for writing this. Thank you for taking the time and sharing that with me, because I think it made a great final point during our outro here on a lot of the things that we talked about today. The first email where his girlfriend does pot. You know what? 
is this the relationship you want? Is it a hell yes or a maybe or is it a no? This is why I want you to get into alignment with who you want to be and how you want to live your life and the path that you're on. What path is that? Be very clear in your definition of your own journey, of your own path. Be very clear and then it spreads outward from there. This is what I want. This is the path I want to follow. These are my values. And the people that come into my life will not be a violation of those values. They'll be complementary to those values or maybe even the same values. You know, we all have different degrees of what we value, but it's important to know thyself, know thy path so that when something comes along or someone comes along and tries to steer you off that path, you know what choice to make because you're clear of the path that you want to be on. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying when you're clear, it's a lot easier to make certain choices in life. And there are a lot of hard choices in life. That's why it's important to keep your mind open so that you can step into your power. This will help you be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hey Houston, Con's prices are invincible. That means prices have been cut low, as in amazingly low, as in won't be beat. In fact, we're backing it up with our low price guarantee. Invincible prices on appliances, furniture, electronics, mattresses, and more. Not invincible enough for you? How about free next day delivery on appliances, TVs, and mattresses? And payment options for everyone, whether you have good credit or building it. Visit Con's today and find out what invincible feels like. Ladies, at Essential Health, you're not just a patient. You're a partner in your healthcare journey. We'll get to the heart of your health questions, even the ones you're embarrassed to ask. We'll find solutions to fit your unique needs and lifestyle, because here, we're in it together. Feel confident in your care and in yourself. 
Schedule a women's health appointment with an Essentia Health provider today. Click the banner to learn more.